0: Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king. Methanol is aromatic and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, race chaser media's Tom Baker. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 80 of the Inside Groove Super Modified Podcast powered by IPC Indy with special nod as well to JNS Paving and Skip's Fish Fry. Oh, we don't want to forget uh, Graugh's Pub either. So, uh, thanks to all those folks for supporting the show each and every week and look forward to today's show a lot. My name is Tom Baker. I am the host of this here podcast and Again, this is episode 80, so we're going to uh, dig in to the history of the number 80 at the Oswego Speedway, uh, particularly in the supermodified division, as we uh, get on with the program. And we're also going to hear from last week's supermodified feature winner on Retro Night, that being Dave Shulick Jr., Uh, Dave uh, joined me a little while ago for uh, an interview to talk about his win and some other really interesting discussion, too. So look forward to having that for you as uh, we continue with the show as well. We also are going to do our uh, second Classic Rewind segment of this fall. I, I don't think we actually did any prior to the first Classic, so I guess it would be the second one of the year. Last week, we talked about the 1977 Classic, and we did that because, of course, to uh, Dates was going to have the rebuilt uh, track championship winning car from 77 at the track this past Saturday, which he did. Um, oh, boy, would I have liked to have been there for that. And how awesome were the photos. We're going to talk about that. Uh, a little later as well, but uh, glad he was there. So when I thought about this year's Classic Rewind, uh, or this show's Classic Rewind, I said, "You know what? I'm going to do this year. Uh, the first three we started with '77. I'm going to do a backwards trilogy. Is what I'm going to do. We're going to do '1976' this week. Uh, that." Uh, will be followed next week by 1975. Why? Because I can. And they were three really interesting years of racing and three interesting classics. So uh, my show, my rules. We're doing the 76 classic today. So we'll talk about that in a minute as well. What we start with, however, is a little bit of a review from Retro Night at the Speedway. First of all, I'm going to start in a place that seems kind of, um, I don't know, maybe it's okay. We're we're going to, I think if you look at uh, the divisions there and you say, okay, bottom is SBS then it's 350, then it's the big block supers, and not, again, to disrespect the SBS division in any way, but I feel like that's the entry level, so we're going to start entry level, then go middle and top uh, this time, because again, we're going to lead into Dave Schillick's interview see uh, so we want to talk about that race and uh kind of run through the uh the results of the super modified division uh just before we slide into the first break that will lead to the interview with dave shillick jr so i want to start with the sbs division and you know what um i i just loved i did not somehow until I think maybe Saturday, Friday or Saturday of last week. I don't even know when Danny first put the post out about uh, the double zero retro uh, rap that he was they were going to put on the uh, the 23 car. Um, but Danny Kapazinski parked that sucker in victory lane. Fourth win of the year for Danny. And I just, I would have to think that at least uh, somewhere in Danny's mind, parking the Joe Gozik retro double zero paint scheme from 1995 in victory lane. One of my favorite Gozik paint schemes, by the way, um, has to rank right up there in importance with um, about any of his other wins, because I know what a big fan of double O Joe Danny K was from the time um, he probably knew who Joe Gozik was. <laughs> and so um, the, I saw a picture of uh, the two of them with their cars that somebody took, uh, thought that was just awesome. So great to see Danny Kay get the win again um, with that paint scheme. Again, that's got to be a special moment for him. Fourth win of the year. And how cool, Brian Haynes and Brad Haynes, second and third. And again, the two of them slugging it out. Uh, during the, the feature event for position, just like they did in the Heat. Brian beat his brother both times. He uh, beat him to win Heat 2 and beat him to finish second in the feature. So Brian second, Brad third in the feature, Cameron Rowe and Dennis Rupert fourth and fifth. Derek Hilton, Mark Denny, Noah Ratcliffe. And how about this? The Ranch, Robbie Worth, finishes in the top ten. In his first ever start in a small block with the 0-4 car. Uh, if you don't know, Robbie, uh, obviously the son of Rich Worth and uh, Rich and JNS Paving, just such incredible supporters of uh, super modified racing and um, SBS racing and 350 racing and the Swiggo Speedway and New England stuff and um Rich is an amazing guy and uh just count him as a good friend and his young son Robbie the Wrench first ever race start in a small block pulls off a ninth place finish. I don't have uh an applause sound effect so we're just going to do that. Nice job Wrench. That was really cool. Um Joey DeStevens rounding out the top 10, Josh Wallace, Tony DeStevens, AJ Larkin, Griffin Miller, Greg O'Connor, Josh Sokolik, and Robbie Bruce round out the field. Danny K, Brian Haynes, and Josh Sokolik were the Heat winners. Danny was your top qualifier, eighteen seven oh seven. He also was the DNS Landscaping Hard Charger uh, Lighthouse Lanes up and comer was Dennis Rupert. Cool to see that uh, White's Car Care fourth place award went to. The gorgeous number seventy-seven of Cameron Rowe. Okay, we move on to the three hundred and fifty super modifieds, JS Paving three hundred and fifty class. And again, I love this outcome. Good to see Dalton Doyle back in victory lane. Had some problems with that car through the year. Uh, got it uh, worked out and picked up the win. Nick Kenny finished in second. Kyle Perry. A strong third, nice run for him. Mike Bruce finished in fourth. And Brian Sobis in his debut in the 45 car for uh, that team finished in fifth. Um, James Caps, Dave Cliff, Barry Kingsley, Tyler Thompson, Kelly Spaulding, and John Tessarero rounded out the field and, uh, I want to pay a special nod to Kaylee Spaulding. She had a very hard crash on Saturday night and want to let everybody know that I've been told she is doing well and looking forward to being back in the car. So, um, just, uh, that is great news. God is definitely good. Good that, uh, Kaylee is, uh, is okay. And, um, I know she's uh, going to be excited to get back behind the wheel as soon as she possibly can. Heat wins to Kyle Perry. Good job, Kyle and Tyler Thompson. Um, let's see. Time trials. Nick Kenny was the fastest, 17071. The DNS landscaping hard charger was James Caps, And uh, Kyle Perry also picked up the Up and Comer Awards. So there you go. Um, that leaves us with the big block super modified class and of course a new track record for Dave Schillick Jr. I just can't even imagine 15.694. I honestly never thought I never thought I would see a 15.6 lap in an unwinged super modified and I especially never thought I would see a 15.6 lap in an unwinged super modified in a year when you know, there is uh, at least some consternation with the tire situation. And um, so great run in that. Uh, I, it says a lot, I think, about how amazing that lap was when your second fastest qualifier, Brandon Bellinger, who previously held the track record, qualified at a 59.50. So that's almost three-tenths slower than Dave lap. Oh, my. Um, heat wins. Dave Danzer. Keith Champagne. Good to see Keith in victory lane in the heat. over Senator Tyler Thompson beat Mike Bruce in heat three. Um, and in the feature event, it was uh, Dave Schillick, Jr., who ended up getting the hard charger award. That car was just on a rail. He'll He'll talk more about that here in a minute. So uh, I won't go into a lot of detail in that conversation because I'll let him say it. But uh, Mike Bruce finished in second. Double-O Joe, strong third place. Good run for Joe. Jeff Abel finished in fourth. Danny Connors Jr., a nice run for fifth. Tyler Thompson, Allison Slow, Brandon Bellinger, Michael Barnes, and Dave Danzer rounded out the top ten. And then we had Tim Snyder, Lou of A, Senior, Hello Tulip, Jack Patrick, Otto Sitterly, Camden Proud. Talk about Cam in a moment. Keith Champagne, Jamie Timmons, and Todd Stoll rounded out the field. Todd not able to start. Um, again, your hard charger, JNS Landscaping hard charger was Dave Schillick Jr., and uh, the White House Lanes up and comer, Danny Connors. Um, and that's how that finished. Okay, I want to make a note. Uh, about Cam Camden proud Um, Camden not uh, we weren't again this week not able to hook up uh, that's uh, that's okay we'll get Cam back here hopefully uh, this next show and certainly before classic but um, really want to give credit to Cam and his dad and that team they busted their tail trying to get that car ready to get to the track on Saturday and Man, um, they did it. It was, uh, it was great to see Cam back out there. Um, he is just so passionate and so, uh, just so excited about racing super modifieds and those guys work so hard, uh, like all the teams do, but, um, happy to see Camden back out there. And, uh, now he's got a couple of more weeks to dial it in before the classic. So, uh, Good to see the Gold 54 back on the track uh, for Camden. And um, we'll uh, look forward to having Cam back on as soon as uh, we can get together on our schedules. So uh, there's the wrap-up for the past show for Retro Night. And again, we'll have a little more conversation about the retro part of Retro Night in a little while. But what we're going to do now is we're going to step aside when we come back... You're going to hear from Dave Schillick, Jr., and he'll talk all about his win and uh, got into some discussion about tires and classic and even a little bit of discussion about um, his dad and his, uh, his past as well. So um, looking forward to bringing that to you, and we're going to do it right on the other side of this break. We will be back with more of Inside Groove right after this. Victory Custom Trailers is the place to go for your next new or used trailer or coach. Being personally involved in the racing community allows Victory to fully understand what racers need in a trailer.
1: They have over 200 coaches and trailers in stock for a variety of industries, and they can serve... Any-
0: Welcome back to the Inside Groove, and this week... Uh, And maybe for the first time on this iteration of The Groove, we have a new track record holder on the uh, program. The week following is track record. I'm not sure I uh, had the chance to interview any other of the uh, track record holders the week after. So I think Dave Schillick Jr. might be the first. Dave, first of all, welcome back to the program. It's great to have you back on and great to see you back in Victory Lane. Last week, it was pretty much a 95 kind of night.
1: Uh, thanks well thanks for having me on uh, yeah it was a great night for the team and uh, you know it's pretty special pretty special to start it off that way and then uh, cap it off with a win
0: talk a little bit I mean I 15694 I, I I just can't imagine I, I can't what's it like to go around the fast 5 As in 15.6 seconds without a wing?
1: um well i knew we were good um i knew we were good the day before um they put the car back together They did a great job you know from getting it back together after the crash and um i knew we were good the day before we went like a 16-0 um on 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 some newer they weren't new tires but they were close to new tires at the time and uh and uh you know i knew we were going to have a a good car i didn't know exactly how good a car we were going to have um kind of wanted to change it up a little bit. we rolled up into qualifying like early, and usually we wait a while um, in the run. So we rolled up, um, wanted to be one of the first cars out, and went out. And um, my warm-up lap was a 15.9, and wow. that caught me by a little bit by surprise. I actually wondered if um, I think Otto was on the track at the same time, and I wonder if Otto had creeped up behind me and actually tripped the the, the, oh. the light behind me. So I was actually seeing his time, not my time. So, um, but then, you know, obviously the next lap, you go a little bit better and um, came across and I saw the time, but it didn't even register with me right away until I had, you know, come in the pits. It started to come in the pits and I'm like, holy crap, that's a track record. And then I saw the team clapping and the whole deal. So, um, it all just happened so fast and it wasn't like I was anticipating that to happen. You know what I mean? It kind of caught me by surprise too, so.
0: I want to understand how the mind works. I know the subconscious uh processes things faster than the conscious mind, but I want to understand how you're going about 100 and what 45 or whatever miles an hour it is um and having the uh the presence of mind to be able to go wait, is Otto there or is that my time or his time? Like you're going 140 miles an hour. How do you even have time to think about all that? <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, it's just, you know, from doing it over the years and things like that. And what's kind of weird is um, I remember the warm up lap. I do not remember the lap itself. Um, oh, wow. And a lot of that comes from, you know, just being, you know, focused and in the zone. Yeah, in the, um, in the there's zone. lots of things throughout a race. Yep. Um, I'll get done and I'll be, you know, at any camper after the race and I'll ask my wife, how did I pass this person? Or how did I get around that person? Or, you know, what I mean, you just don't remember it. But I don't actually don't really remember. The lap itself wow. uh, for some odd reason but i do remember the warm-up lap for sure
0: 15-6 that's incredible okay so of course after that uh, you, you had to be feeling pretty good going into the race night talk about the rest of the night and and uh, the feature run that got you the win
1: yeah so um we, had, we were good in practice we were um really good in qualifying obviously and then you know so in the heat race i think it showed me that the car was as good as advertised um you know, so that that kind of really, you know, put me on notice that we really got really got a good piece. And uh, yeah. so as long as we made the right adjustments, and I feel like we really have a good um, good race package. We kind of know where to go with the car. We know what it wants for the race. And there's quite a bit of adjustments you make to go from a daytime you know setup to a nighttime setup there. And um, so we went with our normal normal package, and um, it was it was um, it was really special. I mean, I could come off the bottom without losing the back end at all so it was uh it was one of those nights where everything was just kind of hitting on all cylinders
0: now i mean obviously a lot a lot of conversation has been had about tires and such and and you know the situation that exists how has all of that affected you if at all over the course of the season i know that for you the season has been you've been you've had a lot of speed through the season you just uh have had some really bad luck but I mean, how how has the tire situation? How do you see it from your perspective?
1: Well, it's a challenge for everyone. I think everybody everybody's going through the same thing. You know, um, yeah. you know, it's not great for any of us, but it's not great for all of us at the same time. So, I think the the division as a whole is doing what they can to manage it. Um, Where you know we're able to buy left fronts at certain times, and um, and Mike Silman's been great to work with um you know if we need something i kind of let them know we work you know throughout the week to find what we need to what we need to get and and so is howie and um dave may at the same time they've they've been excellent so um you know as far as how it's affected us i don't i can't say it's really affected us at this time um you know we've been able to get everything we need um there's like i said there's weeks we can't buy left fronts but um I think every week I text Mike Sillman my order for the tires for the week, and I send him a left front, and he has to tell me that I can't have one. (laughs) (laughs) So I keep trying every week, and sometimes he tells me I can't have one, and (laughs) that's how it goes, you know.
0: Sorry, can't have one again this week, Dave. Uh, You know, get back to me. I'll get back to you when I have one. Uh, Yeah, that's that's, that's, that's how how it works. So So how how do you think this plays, then, going into the Classic? I mean, obviously we got – some pretty big races in between We don't want to ignore those But uh, how do you? How does the tire situation Play into the upcoming Classic Because I feel like uh, Maybe it's slightly different now Than it was back yeah. in May And of course, you know, different weather Different situations So how do you feel like uh, that's going to affect The Classic race overall?
1: Well, it's going to be different And the reason I say that is They're limiting the number of tires we can buy uh, First and foremost to two sets And then they're going to make us start the race on the qualifying set that we qualify on. So typically we would go out and qualify on a set of tires that have a larger chalk mark that gives us stagger, the ability to stagger the cars up and go out and qualify a fast lap. Now we would never race on those tires because they have too much stagger. So we run a smaller set in the race um, to get the stagger out of the car uh, for the race. So that um, is going to limit us on both ends what we can do. So it's going to be, you know, kind of a middle kind of set up so we're going to try to have to play both sides of it so i think you might see um you know cars not be quite as fast in time trials because you know we're not going to have those big stagger numbers that we would typically have so
0: interesting so you're you're, and you're going to time trial during the day this year too which is something that hasn't been done in quite a while
1: yeah that'll probably slow the cars down a little bit too um in the heat of the day versus um You know, being in, right, I think we usually qualify right at dusk. You know, it cools down a little bit. The sun goes out of the sky and gives us those fancy big times that everybody sees. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we'll, we'll see those this year, but I could be wrong. Anything's possible.
0: And, and then the race itself, I mean, obviously, like you said, having to start on the tires that you qualify on, are, are people going to sort of de-stagger a little bit? Is that what you're saying for qualifying in order to have a better uh, better setup for the start of the race? Is that what you're thinking? Is maybe so, That's kind of an interesting strategy uh, aspect, though, to see who decides to go for the big number in time trials and who decides to sort of play for the race setup.
1: Yeah, and then you have guys, I know there's at least one or two guys every year that start on stickers, which they're not going to be able to do. So um, that changes their game plan a little bit. But, yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change it up a little bit, and it's going to, you know, the other thing, too, getting into the weeds here is you're only going to have one, unless you scuff a set of tires in, you're only going to have one heat cycle on a set of tires, and it's only going to be a couple laps. So are the tires going to move all the way? Are they not going to move all the way? Are you going to be able to get the, hit the stagger for the race? So there's quite a bit that's going to go into it, and, uh, you know, we're kind of, I've already started to kind of think about this, the proper strategy for, for that weekend, so we'll see what happens, and uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a little different for everyone.
0: I was going to say, I feel like it almost adds an element of a chess match to it, because you got to think through the process a little bit instead of just being, you know, doing the comfortable thing, throwing the stickers on, and then trying to run away and hide. I feel like now, this year, you got to, Maybe you got to think a little more, and I don't know that that's a bad thing, honestly. I think from a fan's point of view, I always loved watching how people manage their cars over the course of the Classic and who saves something for the last stretch run.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's going to change it a little bit. You're going to have guys that are going to miss it, um, just go out and miss the number and be loose from the get-go. Um, so it's just going to be, you know, can you hit the number and are you comfortable with what you, know, what you have for time trials and what you get in the race? So it's going to be a balancing match, but... Uh, you know, like I said, we're gonna we're gonna plan ahead and we're gonna come up with a strategy that, that hopefully works for us.
0: Walk us through your season a little bit for those uh, who haven't been able to to keep track as well. Um, you've done a little bit of winged racing, but mostly um, Oswego, and you know I feel like it's kind of been a bit of a roller coaster for you and uh, Chris and the team this year.
1: Yeah, it has been for sure. We've we've actually been really really fast this year, even from the first time we unloaded the car and. Um, well, we won early. Um, we had, I think the second week we came from the back and came up to like third. I think we had lost the right front tire. It just started pushing towards the end, but I mean, we had definitely had an awesome car that week. Um, and then we got into a little bit of patch where we were getting some dumb luck. I think we were, we were at one, one week we were up to third early in the race and got caught up in a crash. We had one week that, um, uh, it, it jumped out of gear. Um, <laughs> yeah, going down the back street, it jumped out of gear on me and we, put it back in and we you know we got penalized for stopping on the track versus going in the pits. But yeah. it was one of those deals that if you go in the pitch, you're done. You, you stay out on the track and at least you have an opportunity to to continue to race. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it's just been one of those where we really went through some bad luck. We had um, a rear end almost fail on us that we were able to catch uh mid season. So um I feel like we're we, we you know we've done all the, the maintenance on the car. The car, you know, we've replaced a lot of parts, so we're I feel like we're hopefully got a lot of that behind us, and, uh, you know, we're peaking at the right time. I always talk about that every year as we're heading into Classic, and um, our speed is where it needs to be, and we're peaking at the right time, so hopefully this is, uh, you know, good things to come.
0: I think some people kind of laugh at that a little bit, the idea of peaking at the right time, but... There really is something to that. You want to go into the classic on an upward momentum trend, not obviously having come off, you know, two or three bad weeks where your confidence might not be as high or you're you're worried about, uh, you know, did we fix everything we needed to from, you know, the week before the crash or whatever. You want to go into the classic on a high. And, of course, you got some big races between now and then, too. So uh, I think you got a chance to have a really big month of August if you can keep the car running the way it is
1: yeah that well first of all peaking at the right time is is critical for i yeah. my belief um we the second year we ran the two car with uh with jim paternoster um we won four races pretty much off the rip within the first few races of the season yeah and then we started to struggle as the year went on a little bit and it was one of those things we just went into classic and we we had a great qualifying setup we but race setup we were just not we just didn't have a comfort level with where we needed to be and it showed in the classic. We didn't have a good classic run. Um, so, I feel like with our balance that we have in the car and our our race package, I feel like, um, and I even learned a little bit from the last classic we ran, um, that I feel like we're going to be, we'll have a really good car in the
0: classic. That's awesome. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, and that's all you can ask for, really. If you have the uh, the right, if you have the right setup and you have the car where you want it. Then it's just uh, a combination of uh, you know strategy and, and management on your part, and also obviously you gotta have some luck to win the classic too.
1: Yeah, luck's, <laughs> luck's a big part in that for sure. Gotta make it to the end, so that, that's that's also you know be there at the end, have a car that's capable of winning, and then uh, you know just uh, you know have a little luck there at the end. You never know what's going on in front of you. And, you know, it's like Tyler running out of fuel last year, that was, yeah. you know, earlier in the year, that was, you know, a shock. So, you never know how it plays out. The last 50, it changes a lot.
0: Well, yeah, it definitely does, for sure. And it seems like no two classics are actually alike. I mean, you know, you look at what Tyler did. I mean, he last fall, I mean, the last classic that he ran, he won, obviously, and kind of that run away and hide strategy and speed up, slow down, that, that sort of, uh, you know, whatever that that is that they that they were doing. I don't even know what to call that. But it, uh, it was a dominant strategy, and then he tried to do the same thing. And I think there were more green flag laps in mm-hmm. the spring classic than there were in the 19 classic that he won, which may have been the difference. And that's why it's always a gamble, because you just never know how the race itself is going to play out.
1: Yeah. I mean, that strategy, um, can work. It's a significant risk that you take. Right. Um, you know, you never know, like the same set of tires would be able to withstand what you did the year before. Right. And, you know, yep. I mean, my luck, I'd go out there and try to do it. And, you know, 20 laps into the run, I'm sideways and running out of tires. <laughs> yeah. You know? exactly. and so it's, uh, it's just, a, it's a, it's a gamble. And if you're willing to take it, then that's great.
0: You uh, had a chance to s- spend some time with your dad last night, and uh, obviously, you know, you and your dad, the Sherlock family in general, your uncle, I mean, um, Tyler, uh, so much a part of supermodified racing for so long. Um, nice to hear that it appears that Tyler is going to be running the Classic this year, too. Uh, how is your dad doing, and, and uh Talk about, um, you know, just talk about some memories for us of, of growing up and being involved with all of that.
1: Yeah. Well, it was, uh, it was good to go have wings with him last night. He was in town. He's in town for the weekend. Cause I'm, you know, headed up to Oswego this weekend. So yeah. he, uh, he comes in and spends some time with my brother who's going through some things right now. So, um, yeah, he's in town and we got to spend a little time together yesterday and talk about, you know, just some things that we haven't really caught up on and, uh, you know, it's, I have a lot of great memories growing up and, and racing and, you know, um, just experiences that, you know, I was fortunate enough to have. And, um, I was just talking to somebody the other day about me when I got the opportunity to race against them for, I think, a year or two in Super Modifieds and just, you know, um, it always made me drive harder to try to beat them. You know what I mean? Was sure. Just, you know, I, I watched them for so many years. So, Um. Yeah. No. It was just a a great time, and and I think you know to hear Tyler's going to run the classic. I think you know. I think I knew that, but I'm not exactly sure that I did. So that that's you know news to me. Then that's that's really good to hear. So it's good to hear that he'll be out there, and he's uh you know a great driver in his own right. So looking forward to seeing that as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so what does the rest of the year bring for you in terms of uh, maybe strapping the wing back on and uh, going and doing some Isma racing? Uh, what does your season look like other than obviously finishing it out at Oswego?
1: Yeah, so we're going to finish it out at Oswego. I think we're going to run August 29th. I think that's the date at Lorraine County. Good. Um, and get through Labor Day. And then after Labor Day, I really don't know how much I'm going to run Um kind of get some family stuff going on so i might um call a season after labor day and uh focus on that part of it but um yeah no there's i mean we'll play it by year if there's an opportunity for me to get somewhere Then i'll you know i like star i like thompson but um you know like i said we're after labor day um that's the only the only thing i know i'm doing up till labor day and after that we'll we'll just play it by year.
0: i got you well we uh certainly always enjoy uh Talking to you here on the Groove, and great to have you back on the program. We wish you all the best. Uh, the big races coming up, and uh, look forward to. Uh, well, if, if you if you win them, we'll have you back on again.
1: Yeah, awesome. Thank
0: <laughs> that's kind of how that works. So uh, that's uh, Dave Schillick, and uh, look forward to talking with uh, Dave again sometime down the road. We'll be back with more of the Groove right after this. Hey, here's a little fish tale for you. It's about a place named Skip's Fish Fry. Skip's Fish Fry is located at 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. They're open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. So don't call them on Sunday or Monday. They're gone fishing. They are open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. They serve a variety of great fish, burgers, Hoffman hot dogs, conies, lobster, soup, salad. They even have cheesecake if you feel like some delicious dessert. I love their headache pieces. That's one of my favorites, uh, and they just have great food. It is the best fish in the port city. I'm not just saying that because they're a sponsor of the show. It is one of the first places that I go to eat every time I'm in town. So call Skip's Fish Fry or go visit them on their website at skipsfishfry.com. And by the way, you can order online and just go pick it up. It's a great way to go ahead and take care of the not-so-fun part before you get there. And then when you get there, just pick up your food, bring it home, and enjoy. Skip's Fish Fry, 42 West 2nd Street, in Oswego. Go visit them. Okay, folks, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here on Inside Groove. Indie Performance Composites. They're a premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive aerospace and communications industries. Jeff West and his team are a amazing. They do all kinds of work in the motorsports industry from dirt tracks to NASCAR to IndyCar, super modifieds. It doesn't matter if you've got something that you need designed or fabricated. Let them help you transform your idea, your vision and your budget into a workable high performance solution. They have all kinds of services from 3D printing to finishing services. End-to-end the composite solutions is what they are. Check them out, ipcindy.com or Inc.com and tell them that the folks from Inside Groove set you. Welcome back. As we continue with this week's Inside Groove, it is episode number 80 so let's start this segment with what's in the number. Well, for me, the number 80 connotes one driver and one driver only, and that's Ron Madison. Now, I know he's not the only one. We'll talk about that in a minute. But for me, the number 80 is about Ronnie Madison. When when uh, I first started going to the track, Ron was driving, I think he was driving the Tobin Dietrich car, which was the number 80 that became the number 21 that Chuck Siprich first drove. And so I want to say that in 73, Ronnie was in the that 80 car for Tobin Dietrich. And then I think... I want to say that he spent some time in the uh, 13 car, the Roy Murphy 13 car before he ended up buying his own car, which was also the number 80. And that was, gosh, maybe a Bob Fry car, an old Bob Fry car perhaps in the Midwest. I, I don't remember. Um, but uh, he had that one for a while. And so I think Ronnie was the first 80 now that I remember previous to that. Now the 80 that Ronnie first started in was before my time going there, but I, I know of it and I think I've seen pictures of it. Um, It was the old Swift car, the one, basically the, the modify without a body, the converted sportsman car, that, that chassis when Swifty converted it to a super, took the out, converted it to a super. And I think, again, uh, I'm testing my aging brain. But I think it was was either Dick Jarrett Sr. or Jr. that drove that first. I think maybe bought it, perhaps. And then I'm pretty sure Jim Muldoon spent some time in it. And then it went to Ronnie and that was his first car was that car um and i don't know if i've got the history of that right i could have it all wrong at this point <laughs> it's just uh, it's scrambled eggs but um but i think from there i think ronnie had it and put ron graves in it and it became the 81 and that was ron graves first car i think that he drove, but I think Ron Madison still owned it. I think that's how it worked. Um, so, and then I, I'm, i uh, again, I'm trying to, I think that might have been the car. I'm trying to think if that was the car Joe Paino bought um, and reworked for his first car. I'm not sure. I know he had an old Swift car, and I'm not, I'm not sure if it was that one or... A different one but but I think I think Joe bought that and that completely changed it around or whatever we did it and I think that was his first car whenever he started so um that was Ronnie Madison so again I think it was and there may have been other 80s in that time period that I just don't know about but I think it was I think either Dick Jarrett Senior or Junior and then Um, Jim Muldoon for a bit and then Ron Madison in that, all in that, that swift converted sportsman chassis, if you will. Um, and gosh, um, we might've gone all the way to Mike Muldoon after that for the next 80. I don't recall, uh. I'm trying to think there may have been a Midwest car a New England car that was eighty by a number change, in other words, this car was a originally one number and you know changed it to eighty for whatever reason um because somebody had that number, maybe Mike Ordway or something um like I said, just as a a number change, but I don't think we had a car that was original as eighty until Mike Muldoon. Uh, had it, um, and gosh, that would have been 83, 83, I think. Um,
1: and that kind of, uh,
0: he had his car and then he drove, there was a Graves car that he drove. Uh, gosh, the guy, what is the guy's last name? Um, maybe Donovan, maybe it was at Donovan. I I want to say art Donovan. That was, I think he was a football player, (laughs) but I, I remember, I think I remember a Donovan and it it was maybe the old, one of the old Tobin cars, the old uh, Tobin Graves car, maybe. Um, I think that was 80 when Mike drove it. Um, (laughs) And then, uh, I mean, gosh, he had a number of people. I think Bentley Warren ran his 80 car at one point. Um, there were points in time where uh, he had drivers in and out of, of the different cars. Uh, oh gosh, maybe Jamie Moore was in the 80. Um, I don't know. I can't remember, uh, all the, cause Mike had a, a rotation of different drivers and, and he had at one time, I think he had a 20 and a 50 and an 80 or a 20 and a yeah, I think a 20, a 50, and an 80, and, um, you know, he had different drivers in those various cars at different times. So I don't I don't know if I could rattle all that off, but I, I think if you just kind of lump it all under Mike Muldoon plus, you know, <laughs> the Muldoon car, I think that was the next 80 after Ronnie Madison, actually, um, and I, I don't recall an 80. In the limited class, there may have been one, but I don't recall it. If there was, um, I think that probably gets most of the '80s. Some of you, maybe in the '60s, there were others. You could um, you can have some fun with that. But those are the ones I remember. Uh, and um, you'll you'll obviously correct me if any of my info is wrong. But I think. I think I got most of that anyway, (laughs) but, um, I always, I associate it with all due respect to, to Mike. Um, I associate it with, with Ronnie Madison, because again, when I first started going, it was him that, that had the numbers. So, um, obviously Mike had more success with it, but, um, you know, but, uh, Ronnie was a great guy. Really, uh, um, I really enjoyed, Talking to Ronnie, I got to know him a little better when he, um, when I, I started working at, uh, face at phase drugstore, uh, gosh, late eighties maybe. And Ronnie was driving for, he was, he was a delivery driver for like seven up, I think. And, um, so he and I had time to, to talk and get to know each other and, um, you know, he talked to me a lot when he would, you know, come to do his delivery, would talk to me a lot about his, you know, his racing and the career and whatever. And so that was fun. He was a nice guy. I really like Ronnie. Um, and, uh, of course his daughter star, um, ran small blocks limiteds for, uh, a few years and did really well. She really did. Um, you know, and, uh, nice girl. So yeah, good family. Uh, good people. So I remember Ronnie uh pretty well, and um and of course you know what Mike's done at Oswego with his career, and then now um Michael, his son, and uh, of course Mike's father Jim. Um, you know the Muldoon family is as much of a um you know founding family of the the super modified uh era is is almost anybody i mean there's three generations there you know jim mike and michael um just like we've had three generation of Be- three generations of Bellingers. um you know you've had steve uh senior and junior steve joya senior and junior you had Oh, gosh. Pat and Jeff Abel. I mean, I'm I'm going to leave bunches of people out. I'm sorry. Um, I mean, we could we could spend half the show on all the father and sons and, and the, not to mention the brothers or the graves. And um, so, uh, you know, of course, Jimmy Champagne, his nephew, Keith. Um, so just a lot of that. Uh, and so there's the there's what's in the number. There's there's the, the best I can do with that. Um, all right. So with that, we go back to, uh, let's talk classic, shall we? Uh, classic rewind specifically. We go back to the year 1976 for this edition of the classic rewind. We covered 1977, um, last week. If you missed that episode, just go to the inside groove, uh, Facebook page, uh, or the Inside Groove Twitter, which, by the way, um, somebody asked me what the Twitter page was. Um, at the Groove Show is the Twitter page. At the Groove Show um, for uh, Inside Groove. So if you want to follow the show on Twitter, that's how you do it. At the Groove Show. Um, and I I think uh, at Inside Groove Podcast is the Facebook page, and we're – um i'm debating maybe changing it to match the twitter but that's what they are for now so um 1976 where what was the atmosphere like in 1976 well first of all that was 45 years ago <laughs> a long time um and gosh i mean we had just come off what i think was one of the greatest seasons in the Swigo Speedway history in 1975. Uh, I think we had 11 different winners that year. Um, several first-time winners. Um, all the 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 big guns were still there. Um, you had Swift, who was still running up front. You had. Jimmy Champagne, you had Kempton Dates, you had Jim Cheney, Eddie Bellinger, and Steve Joya had made their presence felt um, and uh, had already won features by 76. Uh, um, 76 was the year that Bentley Warren came back with the old Swift car, the flying card table. <laughs> Ronnie Wallace was still in the 76 car. Warren Conium was driving for his father-in-law. Doug Sire, um, I mean, it was such a deep field still. Kempton Dates, very strong uh, in 76. So, and it was still very much the salad days, as Romy Caruso liked to call it. Um, and, you know, again, those were the days when you had the the huge fields, all the innovation. Uh, Freddie Graves still had the four-wheel drive, Bill Height rear-engine car. In fact, um, he set another track record for the second straight year in time trials with it. Um, So, you know, you just, it was such a competitive year. Uh, By classic time, I think the track championship battle was pretty much down to Jimmy Champagne and Steve Joya. And Steve gave Jimmy a run right to the end of the year. We'll get to that in a minute. But, when you look at the classic, I mean, I'm just going to read the names of the drivers who time trialed. Um, Jim Wright in the 75. I think he was from the Pacific Northwest. That was a rear engine car. Came in for the classic. Uh, state of Washington, maybe. Somewhere up there. Gary Kelly in the Ralph Wissing Four. Brian Herb. Bobby Murs in the Turner Brothers 78. Bobby was a former modified 200 winner. Jim Gray. Um, In his rear-engine car, 31, George Friend from Ohio, I think he was, in the 19, Baldy Baker, actually time-trialed that year in a height rear-engine car owned by George Glick. It was a red 24. Chuck Siprich was driving for Rob Buckner by then. Brian Osgood was in the Union Bob June 59. Brian was a a modified-slash-super driver. Howie Brown, Grandpa Howie in the 79, Larry Nye, modified driver, was uh, driving for uh, Hermie Graf in the C-15. Bentley Warren in the 77. Steve Joya. Gary Albritton in the Doug Duncan 07. He started mid-season. Johnny Spencer got hurt, and Doug put Gary in the car. And uh, Gary won a couple of races. Don Kells in his own car, 65. Always liked Don. What a nice man he was. Jim Cheney in the Salve 04. Joe Paino in the 06 car, which I believe may still have been that old Swift car by then. I'm not sure when he built his new one. Uh, I guess that would have been, maybe that was the year he built his new car. Um, Larry Record in the 71 Uh, Ronnie Graves was in his brother's 38 car at that point. Brad Lichty um, out of Canada. John Bush in the 45. Johnny Logan in the 35. The Keenan Addy car. Jim Brown in the 55. Downtown Jimmy Brown. Dick Batchelder was in the Tobin 21 that year. Dan Denny in the 85. Al Wood in the 09 car. And I don't remember. I know he, I'm pretty sure he was from Ohio or out, out, that way somewhere maybe in the midwest michigan somewhere um not sure whose car that was jerry bosky was in the 16 steve miller sweet 16 i think that might have been his rookie year uh ed thompson was uh in the 91 car by then um Actually, I think Busky's rookie year was 75, now that I think about it. Norm Macrath in the Flying Five. Uh, that would have been the Limblag car at that point. Freddie Graves, of course, in the four-wheel drive car. Paige Reynolds out of Texas came up with his uh, Bill Height rear engine 23. Paul Strasser out of Ohio in the 33. Armin Holly, Armin Holly out of uh, New England in the two-car. That was that beautiful car that... Jim Cheney drove for a little bit at the beginning of the '76 season. I think um, the the car that uh, Nelson Powell owned it was originally built to be a, a sprint car. It was outlawed and uh, became a, a really gorgeous looking little super. Uh, Dennis Lichty, Brad's brother, was racing at that point, And gosh, would he have been in the Todd Gibson rear engine car that year? I think uh, that he had bought um, Bill McClure in the twelve. Out of Michigan, the Claire, the Claire Trier Weller, I think uh, is how you said the, say the name. <laughs> I never could pronounce that right. Um, Denny Wheeler in the ninety six, Jimmy Muldoon in the Orange uh, Corp thirty seven car, Mike Cronin in the twenty five, which I think I remember was the former Doug Duncan ranching car that Johnny Spencer one with became the first uh, driver to win in a rear-engine car of swiggle. Jimmy Gray also he qualified two cars that year. He qualified uh, his own rear-engine car 31 and he also qualified the Skip Matzek 3 car, uh, the Polish Cannon. That was the windblack car. I think Jimmy ended up racing the 3 car in the classic if I remember right. Kevin Lyons was a rookie in the former Buckner car numbered 7. Daryl Harrison was in a car numbered 72. Um, I'm not sure if that was the former All Britain Dick Row 75 or not, because I remember that car as being 98, so maybe there was a number change, maybe not. Um, Eddie Bellinger Jr., of course, Ronnie McLeod in the 81. Uh loved that car and always uh appreciated Ronnie as well. Tommy Leeson in the 97, old Snoopy, I think that would have been a show car by then, I think maybe, possibly. Russ Gray in the 27, Jimmy champagne in the Roadster number eight. Um he had the offset by then, but it blew a motor in Friday practice, so he parked it. Mike Rizzo in the 34, I think that would have been the first year with the old Salve car. Kempton dates in the 28, um, that was the car that he would win the championship with in 77, I do believe Eddie Bell in the Jim Sewell 32. And that would have been the old car that Ronnie McLeod drove the upright, because I think he crashed the new Sewell car on Friday night. I think a wheel came off and he hit the wall in practice, um, Sometimes my memory works well, sometimes not. Nolan Swift in his brand-new 10 pins that he debuted that year and had all kinds of issues with it. Um, Nolan crashed also on Friday night practice and uh, um, put the car back together, but uh, just, just didn't run well with it. Uh, Daryl Peckham was in the 43 car. Now, that one, for me, I'm not sure if that would have been Burt Pitcher's 43, which was the old uh, Shamrock 13 by then, or if it was Brian Morrison's 43. Those are the only two 43 cars that I can think of that Daryl would have been driving by that point. But then again, I don't see Jamie Moore. So I Daryl might have been in the 44 still. Um, I'm not sure. I don't see Jamie anywhere. Did I read his name off? I don't think he's anywhere in the qualifying list here so not sure um and uh jack hopkins in the 82 i think that was the year of jack's uh wreck um and jim thompson in the 18 where uh i i can't remember i guess i jack's wreck i guess was 77 i think i did talk about that last week if i remember right so you're you're your time trials. I'm going to just read the top ten here. I'm not going to go through the whole list, but Freddie Graves was your track record setter, eighteen two four seven in 1975. He bettered it, eighteen two two eight in 1976. Bentley Warren outside pole with a four one four. Then it was. Uh, let's see who was third. Jimmy Champagne was third. Fourth was. Eddie Bellinger, fourth quick. That was a good run for him early in his career. Fifth was Kempton Dates. Sixth quick was, where is the six? Uh, there's a six somewhere. Stevie Joya was sixth. Um, Gary Albritton was seventh. Jim Cheney, eighth quick. Ninth quick was Johnny Logan. And 10th quick Um, who rounded out the top 10? Dick Batchelder was 10th quick in the 21. Um, I think they were still taking 30 at that time. I'm not, I'm not going to bother to go through them all, but, um, in the race itself, uh, I remember that, uh, of course, Steve joy ended up winning the race, but there were, uh, I think Jimmy, I think graves led early. And then um, I think All-Britain was basically in the race for the lead most of the day. I think he and Stevie and Freddie and Jimmy Champagne, I think, led for a bit. But then he had some issues. Um, and so the, the race basically came down to, um, you know, a, a battle at the end. I want to try to hit some of the other highlights, though, before I get there. So um, looking through the 50 years of classic book, I do allow myself to cheat for these things just because I want to get the detail in there. Oh, this was the year that Wayne, Land- <laughs> yeah. Wayne Landon uh, ended up driving a car. He made a comeback at Oswego that year in a car that Billy Law built in less than 10 days and they brought it out they qualified it for the classic and he finished in the middle of the field um that was really cool also um that was the year that um steve joya and the joya team had a giant banner uh that kind of hung over the uh the pit wall there where they were pitted into the grass area there where the uh the announced the uh presentation stand is um and uh, just a beautiful, beautiful banner um, so those were just a few of the things a uh, few of the highlights um, okay, so as we get into the to the race, um, again there were I think all Britain joy and graves were basically the story Jimmy was up there till he broke um, and there were some other drivers that were that were fast um, but Basically, uh, it became kind of, I think Bentley was up there too for a while or most of the race maybe, but it, beca- it became a race after Freddie Graves dropped out. That car broke in both classics in 75 and 76, that four-wheel drive car broke in both of them. That was always the problem with the four-wheel drive cars is for whatever reason, they just didn't seem to have reliability. They were fast, but um They, uh, what I was told was, you know, some of them were quite complicated and then some weren't, but all of them seemed to have reliability issues. So Freddie, uh, Freddie dropped out of both races and it came down to basically a battle between Steve Joy and Gary Aubrey and uh, Johnny Logan was up there in the 35 and Steve ended up taking the lead um, with. Uh, gosh, I don't even remember how many laps, uh, it was left to go. There wasn't many Steve passed Gary late. Uh, and I think, you know, it was sometime in the last 10 laps inside of the last 10 laps. Um, I'm going to just read Steve, Steve's own words here in the classic book. Um, it's, he said this, he said, it's still the biggest win of my whole career. We were pretty good. Most of the race, we were in the top five all of the time. Freddie Graves led a lot of the race, and then they had problems with the car. Gary then went into the lead, uh, I think, like on the 193rd lap. Yeah, okay, so that would have been inside of 10 to go. Um, I got by Gary. I remember (laughs) – I love this quote. I remember that I got by him and kind of panicked. Like, holy crap, I'm leading the Classic, right? Um, I knew I couldn't let anybody back by. I knew I knew it was getting near the end of the race. I think that's probably the hardest I ever drove those last seven laps to make sure I got as much as I could out of the car. It was definitely a great moment for my dad. I always said that we didn't appreciate winning that Classic because it was only my fourth year driving. It came too easy. Then we were never able to win one after that. So that was a very big win. I also... uh saw the picture recently of uh, uh, Betty Joya, Steve's mom, uh, had the, I think it was a newspaper that, I don't know where she got it, but somebody, I guess, that would make whatever headline you want, or I, I don't know where she got this newspaper, but it was the Daily Planet, I think is what it was called, and, it, and, and again, it was a fake. I, I don't know. I don't remember where she, she had it made, but it said Steve Joya Jr. wins 76 in the National Classic or something on it. So um, kind of uh, a good luck charm that forecasted foreshadowed the win. Um, Steve won. Gary Albert and finished second. They were the opposite the year before. We'll get to 75 next week. Uh, Bentley Warren finished third. Eddie Bellinger was fourth. Jimmy Champagne wound up fifth. Chuck Siprich was sixth in the 36. Jim Cheney finished seventh in the 04. Denny Wheeler, who was always good in classics, finished eighth in the 96. Johnny Logan fell back late, finished ninth in the 35. And Dick Batchelder rounded out the top 10. Batch was consistent uh, in that Tobin car the whole time he drove it at a they just couldn't uh, get that thing to victory lane in the feature, and that was—I always thought that was too bad. He was a nice guy. Howie Brown finished eleventh, Jimmy Thompson twelfth, Ronnie Graves was thirteenth, Freddie Graves fourteenth, Eddie Thompson fifteenth, Bill McClure sixteenth, Joe Paino seventeenth, Wayne landed in that car built in less than ten days prior to the classic. Wayne finished eighteenth. What a feat that was for he and Billy Wall get to the. Funny part of that story in a minute. Tommy Leeson, 19th. Jimmy Muldoon, 20th. Larry Nye, 21st. Jimmy Gray, 22nd. And he was in the Matic 3. Brad Lichty was 23rd. Kempton Dates, 24th. Kemp never did have a lot of luck in classics. Mike Rizzo was 25th. Brian Herb, 26th. Larry Rackard, 27th. Johnny Bush, 28th. Warren Conium in the 52 who had a nightmare. That team had a nightmare of a classic weekend. Uh, had problems all weekend long, misqualifying through time trials, um, got wrecked in the heat race. Um, I think he needed Ron McLeod to drop out of the semi or withdraw before he could run the semi. And then he barely got into the feature, into the classic, and just dropped out um, somewhere early, only 29th. Uh, that was a real tough one for, for Conium. I thought he would have had a shot to win. But, you know, you have those weekends every once in a while where things just don't go well, and that was one for him. Um, George Friend finished 30th. Bobby Burr's 31st. Nolan Swift, 32nd in the 10 pins. He came back the next year and avenged that. Ended up 7th in 77 with the same car. That was his last classic. Russ Gray, uh, 33rd. Elwood, 34th. And this says ninety four. Where the time trial's set 09, so I'm not sure um, not sure about that. But um Brian Osgood thirty fifth and the June Carpage Reynolds thirty sixth, Ronnie Wallace, thirty-seventh, again um got wrecked in a in a crash that I think involved Paul Strasser, Norm Macrath, who were thirty eighth and thirty ninth, and Norm another one, the Bally five. Uh, I I wanna say something happened in Norm. Just before that, might have been the year that Norman and Ronnie had an incident before time trials even started. I think maybe one of the warm up sessions or something. And I think Norm was also sick that weekend. I think I remember. He just, that again, a terrible weekend for the Bali team with that Lindblad car. And that was too bad. That car was gorgeous, as all their Flying Fives were back then. Armin Holley rounded out the uh, field in the two car. Um, Dick Batchelder, the rookie of the race in 1976. So there you go. Uh, it was a it was a great race. I want to kind of tell the the um, post race story. So prior to the classic race, when Billy Law and uh, talked about putting a car together uh, for Wayne to drive. Warren Conium said, if you build a car in 10 days and make the Classic, I'll eat your left front tire. Um, and so there was a bakery in Oswego. I don't remember the name of the bakery, but the, the there was a bakery in the city that when they came back after Classic for the fall championship or one of the fall races, um, that bakery gave Warren... Uh, and they did this in front of the crowd, which is why I remember it. They, they gave Warren a little cake that was round. That was in the shape of a tire. So he could eat the front tire. It was pretty, it was pretty funny. Uh, and what an accomplishment. Billy is a great guy. A lot of fun. Wayne Landon was one of the best. And again, such a legend out of Michigan, just a personal, personable guy, Loved racing. Um, that was, he had been away for a while, I think. So that was kind of a comeback for him. And then I remember him being away maybe again for a while and coming back uh, in a an offset version of the June 59. One of the first uh, offsets that the Junes built, I think. Um, Wayne drove it for, I don't know, a year, maybe two. Um, he was in it a while anyway. And so that was, uh, again, there's some uh, great stories, Uh, great stories in those classic races back then. Just so many things to follow and so many kind of, um, you know, stories within the story, so to speak, with drivers coming from all over the country and Canada and uh, uh, rear engines and side engines. And like I said, we were still in that period of innovation, Jimmy had the offset in the pits and of course blew the motor in it, didn't run it. Um, you know, who knew at that point? I mean, that was, uh, you know, that was the car that would change super modified racing forever. Uh, and, but again, we just, we had all the big guns at that point. Um, we're still there. It's still racing. And, you know, you had your drivers like Johnny Logan that would come from Michigan most every week. I think still at that time, the Keenan Addy car and you know Bill McClure with the twelve, um, man it was just that was a a big season in seventy six. I don't think we had quite as many winners as we had in seventy five. We might have had eight or nine maybe, but it was it was still close. Obviously, um, you know, and and again you had a lot of regulars that were from you know from all around. It wasn't. It wasn't such a localized thing as it is in Oswego now where most of the field is, you know, from New York or or close. Um, You know, there were drivers still back then that would come across the country to race in Oswego because it was the the premier place to race. So uh, there's your classic rewind for this week. Um, We'll look at 1975 next week. That should be. Fun again that season just magic that was a magic season at oswego uh, it'll be it'll be fun to go back and kind of um, revisit that a little bit uh, <laughs> and I want to finish this show by sort of closing the loop on what happened on Saturday night at the speedway with Kempton dates so Kempton was a driver who really was a a legend at Oswego, and of course, for those of you who don't know, um, his 1977 track championship-winning car was restored and made its return to the racetrack um, on that very day, this past Saturday on Retro Night with Kemp behind the wheel, and oh, what a special thing that was to see uh, that that was one of that car is one of the greatest examples of why I say that super modified racing is one giant family. Um, it's so many people had a hand in that process from the, from the time that the car was located to the time that they got it to, they gave it to Kemp, brought it back to Kemp to the time he identified it as the championship car to, you know, going out and, and, uh, and then beginning the restoration progress process, so many people played a hand in that um, and contributed to the book that um, that was was sold there. That uh, still books available. I think they're going to do another run. Um, so uh, the Red Creek Rocket restoration was complete, and kept, went out took some laps and. Um, and 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 signed autographs and I'm just I I just was thrilled to see that for him because I think that for a lot of the younger drivers too to be able to see and appreciate that history um and get to meet somebody who is I mean he's small in size but he's giant in stature at the Oswego Speedway uh I was just really really happy to see that all take place and uh, glad that uh, the weather was good and um, Kemp got to have, you know, his night and, and you know, and people could uh, talk to him and, and, you know, so and salute him, pay tribute to him, whatever. Um, so that was just a, a great night for him and, a, and a, I'm sure a great night to be at the Speedway. Um, so excited about uh, the possibility of uh, and I didn't know this may happen, but uh, Larry Trinka has been restoring the 1976 Classic winning car that Steve Joya drove, the old Joya Roadster, Joya 9 car. Um, and he mentioned that he may be bringing it to Classic. Uh, and so I hope that happens so everybody can see that car. Uh, Larry, I can't wait to see it either. That's a, another restoration project that I just can't wait to to get a look at, Larry, um, I saw it when he was just starting it uh, about a year ago, year and a half ago, whatever it was. Uh, wasn't sure what progress he'd made. We hadn't talked about it in a while. But uh, if he brings that to the Classic, that's going to be another huge hit. Of course, Steve Joya from Oswego, the first driver from Oswego to win the Classic. Um, one of the most popular drivers in the history of the place. The Joya family is again another one of those pillar families at the Speedway. Uh Steve Sr. is an owner, Steve Joya and Steven Joya, his son is drivers, uh, Steve as an owner as well. Uh senior and um and then again, uh, of course is part owner of the Speedway at one point. Uh and now I think he's still doing tech. I haven't heard otherwise, but um I believe he's still still doing uh, tech work for for the track. So uh, the Joy has been involved at the track for decades, and so that car was a really cool car, very popular car, um, and it, and the car that catapulted Steve from being a potentially good driver to being a winner. And he won, I think he was in, yeah, he won in seventy uh, five. Um, he was one of the new winners from the 11 or so that we had in 75. He was one of the ones that won his first that year. There were several uh, out of that group of winners that were first-time winners. Steve was one of them. I think he won a couple that year. Um, And then, as I said, chased Jimmy all the way through the season, right down to the last night in 1976 for the track championship. And that was the year that Jimmy – Steve had a crash with his car in practice on championship finale night and Jimmy not wanting to see Steve on the sidelines, um, wanting to give him a shot, put him in his brand new offset car. That's a, a trivia question that I'm sure a lot of people still don't know and half of the rest of us probably forget. The first driver to drive Jimmy's radical offset front-engine car in competition was not Jimmy. It was Steve Joya. And that was at Jimmy's um, behest and gave it to him to race so that they could still race for the championship. Um, I think Steve ended up, I don't know, 10th or 11th in the feature. Not a great race i think he got it might have ended up in someone else's skirmish or something he had i think there was there was something there that that kind of hampered his his race i think i remember but um you know that was uh that was a really really interesting night jimmy ended up winning the championship uh i think he won the feature that night if he didn't he finished right up in the front um and ended up winning the championship, and 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 Steve finished second to him. But what an honor! Uh, and I'm going to go ahead as we get closer to the classic. I want to wait um, a week or so, but I'll I'll post repost the uh, Inside Groove show where I interviewed Steve. And uh, for those of you who are new to our audience, you can hear it um, because we talked about the classic, and we talked about that 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 situation with Jimmy and uh, what an honor. I mean, that was, and it just showed who Jimmy Champine was. We saw Bentley Warren and Ed Bowie do the same exact thing. And I think it was also Steve Um, a number of years later, 84, 85, somewhere in there, they were running for the title. And of course, by then they had the Heveron offset car that Dougie did so well with, and they still had the show car chassis that they'd had for a couple of years. They reworked it. Um, and a number of drivers were in that uh, different times. And, and uh, I think one of the nights, I don't know if it was the last night of points, but at one point during the season, Steve got in that car too. They offered it to Steve because uh, his car was sidelined. And um, so, and that happened quite a lot. I mean, Bentley got a lot of opportunities. You know, when when whatever car he was driving was would be out or whatever. Jeff West, uh, Joe Hawksby. I th- gosh, I don't even know. I, I think there might have been a couple more. But uh, Bentley would would you know somebody would offer him the car to keep them in the points. Um, And who wouldn't want Bentley to drive their car, frankly? (laughs) uh, I think Pat Abold uh, in that team, I think he was the backup Abold car a time or two, maybe. Um, So, you know, again, that's super modified racing as a family. And when you, You know, when you think about what happened Saturday night with Kempton Dates and you realize that so many different members of the family had, whether it was giving a part or researching a part or, you know, whatever it was, um, that whole thing was not just the result of Kemp or, you know, his people that actually worked on the car. There were a lot of people that made that possible, and that was really awesome to see. Uh, and a great moment for Kemp, I'm sure. Uh, so I uh, hope you all enjoyed that. And that uh, kind of closed uh, the loop uh, on that. We we, we put Kemp's uh, classic or uh, Kemp's interview show out last week on the Inside Groove uh, page, social media. Um, if you didn't hear that, you can find that, uh, again, Facebook or Twitter um, or uh, just if you go to Google and type in Inside Group Podcast to Dates, it'll bring it up, too, for you. So that's an easy way to look up any of these shows um, if you if you just want to place. And that's it. Uh, I'm going to close the show right there again thanks to our sponsors, which are Jeff West and the folks at IndiePerformanceComposites.com, IPC Indie. Um, and, uh, of course, Skip's Fish Fry and LaGroffe's Pub, Sean Cathcart and the staff at both of those places. And uh, also, of course, uh, JNS Paving, and Rich Worth. And, again, congratulations to Robbie the Wrench. That was really awesome to uh, start off with a top ten run. Um, really can't wait to, to see uh, how well he does over the next few weeks. With uh, that car, once he gets more comfortable, we know that it can win races. So awesome stuff, for sure. Um, Hope you all have a great week. And thanks for being a part of the show. Uh, Look forward to next week. Have a great weekend. Race safe, everybody. So long. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive aerospace and communications industries find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com inside groove is a race chaser media production for more exciting and passionate motorsport content follow race chaser media on facebook instagram twitter and youtube and visit racechasermedia.com the opinions expressed by our guests are the